Our topics tonight include a discussion around the very apparent socialist takeover of the Democratic Party. It started in Nevada already, and it's moving to all of the blue states. Next, the Biden administration will hold its first talk with China in Alaska. What is behind it and what's on the agenda? Last, a short segment on Ken Paxton. The Texas Attorney General is asking states to start working on their election laws to prevent 2020 from ever happening again. According to a report from The Intercept, all the staff of the Nevada Democratic Party quit after Democratic Socialist candidates took over leadership positions. On Saturday, Judith Whitmer, who was elected chairwoman of the Nevada Democratic Party, received an email from Alana Mounts, which is the party's executive director, announcing that she would be leaving her position. Mounts first congratulated Whitmer, and then she said she was quitting, along with every other employee and consultant. Judith Whitmer, the former Clark County Democratic Party chair and Clark County Left Caucus chair, ran the Democratic Socialist of America slate. Her DSA coalition won two vice chairs and a party secretary and treasurer. These five were according to the Las Vegas DSA Twitter. The first being Judith Whitmer, who is the chair candidate of the Clark County Democratic Party, as well first vice chair candidate Jacob Allen, second vice chair candidate Dr. Zafir Iqbal, a physician who served as a Bernie 2020 Nevada co-chair as well, as well secretary candidate Ahmed Ade, and last treasurer candidate Howard Beckerman, a Carson City-based DSA comrade. Regarding the mass exodus of party staff, Whitmer told The Intercept, we weren't really surprised in that we were prepared for it. But what hit us by surprise was sort of shocking is that for a slate that claimed they were all about unity and kept this false narrative of division going on throughout the entire campaign. In fact, they kept intensifying that. That's what was surprising about it, was the willingness to just walk away instead of working with us. Now, in the past few years, DSA leading Bernie Sanders' campaign here in Nevada was to motivate young, especially Latino voters, in helping him win the Nevada caucus in the 2020 election. After Sanders' campaign had closed for this election period, his supporters didn't stop. Instead, they utilized the momentum to push forward, winning a majority on the state's Democratic board. With their congressional comrades now, the DSA infiltration of the Nevada Democratic Party is not an isolated aberration. The DSA now has five comrades in Congress, including Rashida Taleb, Danny Davis, Cory Bush, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, and Jamal Bowman. Representative Jan Skowski and Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the powerful Judiciary Committee, also have been members of the DSA in the past. The DSA also has over 100 allied public office holders in positions across the county, from library to flood control board members to judges and district attorneys. Currently, six DSA comrades serve on the Chicago City Council, and a slate of six more are running for New York City Council this year. Now, these similar types of socialists are running across the country, especially in blue states. As a part of the ultimate Marxist goal, it is to take over the Democrat Party completely. And we should expect this list to be growing within the next election cycles. So what happens comes 2022 and then 2024? We can only expect the numbers of progressive socialists under the guise of that, who are actually, in my opinion, Marxist and eventually communist. These candidates will keep gaining foothold within the blue party. And they're willing to go far on the progressive policy and cater to the left voters' lack of thinking. 
As we discussed in politics, the goal is to eventually turn one party, it happened to be the Democratic Party, into the party of the Communist and Socialist Movement. Since the Democrats hold the office of the United States right now, as well as the majority in the House and the Senate, who is to say they won't completely transform the entire party within just one election cycle? Now this is quite scary to think about, as we were suddenly getting a blatant takeover from socialism in such a quick fashion. Isn't it dangerous to witness this? It takes a while for it to kick off. In fact, it might have been already five years since the plan was in motion. But once it does, it only takes a few years, maybe one or two years before it's too late. The communist specter must harbor onto the party it can corrupt. That party happens to be the Democratic Party. It's also the party in its nature that has abandoned the will of God and chooses to rule by human playing gods. This can then cause the corruption to fully take over the humanity of the party. And when you have the press secretary of the United States right now calling a pandemic relief bell the most progressive bell, it is not a good sign to say that they won't fully embrace a socialist culture. With this bell, we can see that it is a fully directional change towards big governments and the way the governments are working with the people. Now what they're saying is you want to rely more on the government and the more you rely on the government, the more control the government has over you. For example, giving away money for free, it means taking away control from the people because it capitalizes on the desire of people to not have to work for money. They can just receive free money and as long as it takes no effort, the people will do anything to listen to the government in order for the free money exchange. And when it comes to election time, in order to keep maintaining their free money, they will vote to have those policy in place. This creates a such huge cycle of feeding off of the government's support and thus getting the control of maintaining those candidates in position. And at that point, we're willing to give up our rights to just be regulated by the government. At that point, aren't we just pigs on the farm? Who are just happy to be fed and maintain a sense of security? But little do pigs realize, what has for them is the eventual slaughterhouse. And this is when communism takes over, and it decides if your life is even worth living. The government decides what your life is worth, and that is the eventual land of communism. Where are we going to be getting to that point? Now check out my communism in US part 3, especially where I talk about the politics of all of this. And I'll link the description here. So along with this topic, I will quickly mention why woke culture has, adding, has been adding to the mental censorship of closing your thinking ability. But I will talk more about this in tomorrow's episode in our next episode of Communism in USA, which is more focused on the media and the censorship, especially self-censorship. Now with Marxism, socialism, and communism, as it tries to differentiate between itself, it comes down to this. As a Chinese scholar summarized it as, Marxism, communism is to destroy traditional culture, to destroy interhuman relationships, to destroy traditional religion, to destroy traditional morals, and this is all according to Karl Marx himself. And they do so using class struggle. This is all done in the name of liberating the people. But it's done through hatred and not love. And after they have destroyed all of what they call the old system, who is remaining? If you think about it, it's the communist Marxists. And after they take all those so-called oppressors out, who then becomes the oppressor? I mean, somebody's got to take charge, right? 
and it happens to be the communist and the socialist as well. And when we kill all of the conservative values in society today, what they call is not progressive enough, what is left? It's the woke mob. Those are the people who are now in control. At this point, don't they just become the very thing that they're attacking now, right? The so-called class system that they're attacking. And last, by destroying this so-called race class, social class, or creating this new world full of no class systems, what they have done so in the process is actually create a new class. It's called the woke class. Recently, Senator Tim Scott has denounced this current left-wing attack on black conservatives and a focus on being woke, saying the concept is harmful and as detrimental as white supremacy. He said Monday evening in an appearance on Fox News primetime that woke supremacy is just as bad as white supremacy. Host Trey Gowdy called out and condemned MSNBC host Joy Reid for her attacks on Scott because of his support for conservative politics. And while Scott and other conservatives believe being woke by judging people on social justice trends is dangerous and divisive, many on the left celebrate being woke as a moral obligation. In 2017, a group of prominent female activists, including Joy Reid, gave an interview to Essence magazine on what woke means to them. Reid said people who are woke have to take opportunities to fix any perceived injustices they see around them. So with woke being the spiritual guidance of the left in this and pretty much the last decade, we can see that as a part of the human ship abandoning spiritual guidance, instead what they're choosing is to make their own rules throughout this whole woke system. And why does this relate to cancel culture and the eventual socialist takeover we just talked about? Well, listen to this. I recently discovered something quite interesting. And it's a theory I would call it the something about wokeism and it's a membership you can think of wokeism like a lifestyle and it's a way of segregation by itself now think back to when racial segregation in the 60s was bad and then think even more back to the thousands of years of class systems all around the world never once did we actually stop having class systems and superiorities every single time a new society formed we had systems and we had classes now the far left wants to think that there isn't a class system in this day and age, or at least attempt to eliminate that. But we also established that that in itself is Marxism. And in fact, creating one themselves is in the process of going to communism. That is based on being woke. What socialist and communist tries to do so hard is to hide the fact that they're also relying on the class system for class struggle. And I mean, it's in the name of the Communist Manifesto to have class struggles. And there's always a class system, even in communism. And it's just that they can't let you see through the mirage, otherwise this whole deception won't work. The more woke you are, the more superior your identity and social status is in the current age. Think about this. When you apply for a job today, your job security starting to matter more based on if your political stances favors that of the progressive side or favors the conservative side. And if at work you fail to comply with, say, critical race theory and, say, diversity training, your job might be on the line. And there's a social pressure system in place too that forces you to move towards the left. And it makes you desire being part of this progressive circle because of the mental pressure being such so much lower as you being woke 
allows you to have more say in this current age. That itself is creating a social structure. Being woke means you get to cancel others. And being woke means you are somehow morally superior to others. And isn't that the whole thing? They're trying to establish this so-called higher moral ground. And how, how is this different from the way that black and white segregation worked back in the 60s? It's just a different form of class struggle. But the worst part is, this is all done through a hidden disguise. It's all done under the pretense of democracy, free society, culture, and various progressive terms. And it's evolving too. And while using history as a powerful tool to attack the opposition, making race one of its primary ammunition, it has in fact twisted the intentions of MLK Jr. Now being a conservative in, in 2021 is probably much harder than you think because your beliefs in politics, in religion, in society, and in economics is always met with criticisms and judgment. How is this different from the class systems of the past? Or I'll give you another way to think about this. Rather than making it about a race issue, what if the communists take over and what they do is they persecute you based now on your politics rather than the color of your skin? Is that much different? Whether it's your skin color, it's race, it's politics, it's religion, I think this is the reason why we see communism can manifest itself in various ways and formats. And it tends to hide itself from the rules by the book. And it needs to change the way it is perceived. Right now in the United States, there is a growing concern of China being the dominant exportation of communism directly. But we have to start identifying the underlying communism infiltration by the days. And that is through this woke system. In our second topic today, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said on March 10th, he intends to lay out in, quote, very frank terms, the United States' deep objections to the Beijing regime's behavior in a meeting with the top Chinese Communist Party officials next week. And he added that the United States won't make any concessions to China to get its cooperation on implementing the Paris Climate Accord, uh, Blinken and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan will meet with the top CCT officials in charge of foreign affairs, such as Yang Jiechi, the foreign minister Wang Yi. And this is all done in Alaska. Now, on March 18th is when they will be holding the meeting after they return from Japan and Korea. This marks the first high-level meeting between the two countries since Joe Biden took office. Blinken, at a House Committee on Foreign Affairs hearing on March 9th, said the meeting is an important opportunity for us to lay out in very frank terms many concerns that they have with Beijing's actions. Reiterating previous remarks, Blinken described China as the United States' most consequential relationship, saying the regime uniquely has an ability militarily, diplomatically, economically to undermine the international rule-based system. The secretary faced multiple questions on how the Biden administration will respond to the CCP's repression against Uyghurs in Xinjiang, which the Trump administration has designated as genocide. Blink has said he agreed with the declaration. The secretary confirmed that he would raise the CCP's abuses in Xinjiang in the meeting next week. Republican lawmakers again expressed concern over Biden's China policy on March 10th. Leading the criticism was Representative Chris Smith, who asked Blinken whether he would impose a serious cost on the Chinese Communist Party over its human rights violations, and whether he would retain the Commerce Department's entity list, which blacklisted Chinese companies who were involved with the human rights abuses. To which Smith explained, he says, 
I've chaired over 75 congressional hearings focused on exclusively on CCP human rights violations, including pervasive religious persecution, torture, gulag labor, forced abortion, organ harvesting, democracy suppression, media censorship, the jailing of journalists and bloggers, and genocide. In response to his question, Blinken said that he intended to build coalitions of like-minded countries who share these deep concerns about human rights abuses in China. He also explained, We are determined to put human rights and democracy back at the center of our foreign policy to make sure that we have the tools that we need to be most effective in advancing human rights and democracy. Now, the CCP has stressed about increasing its military budget and its expansion in anticipation of a war. Now, in our previous episode, we discussed the very big potential of Taiwan being invaded by the CCP. During the annual meeting, the Chinese regime proposed new plans to bolster its research and development in critical technology sectors in order to surpass the U.S. and achieve global dominance. According to its five-year plan, which was reviewed at the ongoing National Congress on March 5th, the Chinese regime pledged to make science and technology a strategic pillar for national development in order to reduce China's reliance on other countries for key technologies. Uh, this is often done by stealing U.S. technology and then adapting it to make it the so-called CCP development. The CCP is increasing its research and development budget for, say, critical technologies. And this is all done because the capability of a so-called term, military-civil fusion. All of it is developed for, say, civilian purposes, such as, say, surveillance of its own people, but it can also be used as a part of the foreign espionage and unrestricted warfares against other countries, for example, United States. And it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say that all Chinese-based companies can have the potential to be tied to the CCP's military as a part of the soft power extension and its united front um, work, which is then tied to the military. Now, Alex Capri, a senior researcher at the business school of the National University of Singapore, told the Wall Street Journal in an interview on March 7th that a national security battle is behind the U.S.-China tech war. He said, leading in AI and computing enables China to reap huge benefits in hybrid warfare and intelligence gathering. China's new military strategy has long been about two types, since we've realized it. First is the hard warfare in the military side with missiles, cruisers, with aircrafts and all that. And then there's the larger than now category of unrestricted warfare. And this ranges from the United Front, which is working to subvert society, culture, information warfare, spying, bribery, stealing, all of that. What the CCP has been recently calling a sharp power. And previously it also included the soft power. So with the United Fronts, it seems that the CCP may be boasting a powerful military, but in actuality, it's the more severe form of warfare that's the one we've also failed to see for a very long time. In our third topic today, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is calling on Republican lawmakers to treat election integrity as a priority issue, making the remarks in an interview with Breitbart News. This warning is for states who still have the trifecta of control on state senate, state house, as well as the governor position. Paxton says he doesn't want to see Venezuela here in the U.S. The only way to prevent it is making the election sacred again. Given that what we have seen now with more socialist takeover in blue states, red states must also act fast. Paxton took aims at states with lax election integrity laws, especially around mail-in ballots, such as not requiring photo ID or signature verification. 
In instances like these, Paxton said, you've got a real problem having any credibility in your election and that harms democracy. So Georgia, Florida, Iowa, among a few other red states are now trying to act on their election improvements with the intention of building a safer election before 2024. Now, all red states should look at doing something about their current system if they've had questions in the past. And that is it for tonight. Thanks so much for watching this episode. Thanks so much for watching Beyond the Noise. Have a wonderful evening. Take care. See you tomorrow.